When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm so glad I had a sleeper because they have the over-under games now. So once the fantasy season is over, it's actually not over. So I keep that sleeper app front and center on my phone. The promo code is UNDERWORLD to double your deposit up to 100 bucks. This is the Decision Point with Anand and Durian. Anand, we've got a lot to talk about. We've got general managers that are on the move. We've got a lot of turnover at offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator. We've got quarterbacks that are rumored to be on the move throughout the league. A lot to talk about today on the Decision Point. Let's start with general managers. First and foremost, Tennessee. This was a perennial playoff team. They're now dumping John Robinson, who made some great picks. Look at Harold Landry, first and foremost. I think a lot of general managers are more responsible for the winning on the field than the coach, but the credit is usually reversed. John Robinson, not bad, but gone. The fans were not happy with the A.J. Brown trade, especially when Philly came in and beat the brakes off of him, but... I, it's it's tough, right? Like doing a general manager job in the NFL is so tough because you're trying to build something over time, right? And as a head coach, year to year, you can fire your head coach. It's not a problem, right? You want stability there if you can find it, obviously. But for example, the Broncos, Nathaniel Hackett, it didn't work, get rid of him. With a GM, one bad year of draft picks or free agent acquisitions or whatever – shouldn't necessarily get you fired only because it's so hard to do that job to the best of your, you know, to that top tier level over and over and over again. There are going to be ups and downs. And as much as we've talked about the Eagles, Howie Roseman has had some really bad misses and they've stuck with him. So it's one of those things where you don't want to just fire the GM to fire the GM. There has to be a plan in place for okay, this is what he did wrong. We need to find somebody that has a different skill set to get this portion of it right and keep some element of what we did well before, whether that's, you know, scouting or director of pro player personnel, whatever it is. You know, there are some elements of it that you want to keep unchanged. And if you make the move at the top to get rid of your GM, what you're essentially saying is, hey, we need someone else making the ultimate decisions, not necessarily the internal workings of what we're doing here. I like the Roger Saffold signing. I like the Malik Willis draft pick. At that point in the draft, it was a perfect upside play. Great pick. Yeah. I've liked a lot of the Tennessee Titans moves. I feel like John Robinson's been an above-average general manager. Do you agree? I think he is an above-average general manager, based on what we saw, right? But the problem is it's tough to separate what John Robinson did from what Mike Vrabel did, right? And you could tell, basically in that building, from what we understand, there was a power struggle between Vrabel and John Robinson. And ultimately, Vrabel won that out, you know, fair or unfair. But, you know, you could tell the the Titans this year were not the team that they had been the past couple. They're definitely not the team that was the one seed in the ASC last year. Like, there was a lot of stuff changing. And I think they tried to get ahead of a potential problem here. By, you know, not allowing it to fully blow up where, you know, it got it got public where Vrabel and Robinson were, you know, basically fighting it out in the court of public opinion. Um, but realistically speaking, I don't know that I would have made this move. It's just, you know, sometimes tensions run too hot and you've got to make a, a you know, split second decision one or the other. And, and they, they chose Vrabel and we'll see how it works out. So how do you feel about Rand Carthen, the new Titans general manager? He is a former Rams player personnel scout, and then the Niners. Um, I mean, 49ers and Rams 
hard to beat in terms of the wisdom that you can accrue working with those franchises. You have the 49ers that built a perennial playoff team from the ground up, and you have the Rams that microwaved a championship. I mean, look at San Francisco. This team is dragging Brock Purdy into the playoffs. Yeah. Outside the quarterback position, the most talented team in the league, unit by unit, player by player. It's a truly impressive franchise. I mean, they've elevated Mr. Irrelevant, the last pick in the draft. This guy wasn't even usable in college fantasy football. Now he's throwing for 300 yards and three touchdowns. Why? Because they surrounded him with the best possible supporting cast. Now, John Lynch is not viewed as one of the top general managers in the league, but look at the team that he's helped build. Rand Carthen had a window into one of the most impressive franchises in the NFL currently. Rand Carthen has experience building champions of all different kinds. I love the hire. This hire made 100% logical sense to me. Yeah, and look, the thing about being a you know director of player personnel is most of them operate in the late rounds of the draft, right? Rounds four through seven when coaches are not watching seventh round safeties. Sorry, they're not. They're just not. They're... So what happens? A second round pick comes in and the general manager had no idea who was being picked. It was all about the coach making the choice. Yeah, because coaches coach override does happen. Absolutely. Not that they haven't watched them, not that they haven't scouted them. It's just that's not their time to shine, right? Their time to shine, Rand Carthen's division of the Niners' time to shine was George Kittle, was Talanoa Hufanga, was Elijah Mitchell, Brock Purdy. Those were picks by the general managers and, and the scouting team. It was the coach that picked Joe Williams and Trey Sermon. The guys that will give you a competitive advantage long-term are the guys that can find you replacements for your misses in rounds one through four, in rounds five through seven. The right dart throws matter, right? They're gambling on traits. They're gambling on, for example, Kittle, Iowa tight end. Not a super hard A to B there, right? Elijah Mitchell, upper percentile athletic profile across the board. Elijah Mitchell, if there's one thing that you know translates, right, if there's one thing that you know translates, it's speed. And why'd he fall to the sixth round? Because of his size. And that's what San Francisco has been an innovator in this way. They've said, hey, listen, we don't care about size at running back. We just want a guy that's going to be explosive and a slick pass catcher. Whether he's 190 pounds like Raheem Mostert or 200 pounds like Christian McCaffrey, don't care. We're not overpaying those extra few rounds to get a guy that's 220 pounds. The other thing, too, that that doesn't get mentioned often enough about Brock Purdy is there was legitimately, two to three years ago, round one to two discussion on him after his sophomore year. And he regressed every year since. And obviously was the last pick in the draft, but there was something there that they thought they could salvage. And the fact that they didn't bring in anybody immediately after Garoppolo goes down tells you just how much they think the quarterback almost doesn't yep. matter. Mr. Irrelevant becomes very relevant. No, no, no. And and the funniest part about that, too, is Brock Purdy's legs have given them first downs and extended drives and, and you know, extended plays in ways that they were hoping that Trey Lance's would. But he's also taking shots that they drew up for Jimmy Garoppolo that Jimmy just wouldn't throw. Like... The seven to eight yard stuff that Jimmy Garoppolo lived on, right? He's able to hit, obviously, because IU can Kittle and Debo are running five yards free of everybody. I mean, you and I can make those throws. But then he's also choosing actively to throw those 30 yard shots, even if he's not hitting them, that Garoppolo wasn't even trying. So now you've opened up holes in the run game, and now everybody's going crazy in the run game, too. And now you have a legitimate passing attack because obviously you have those weapons. Nobody can cover all three of them. There's not a team in the league that can cover all three of those guys. It's just not possible. And then McCaffrey out of the backfield, dear God. Like, I mean, that team is functionally impossible to stop. They gave the keys to the kid to the Ferrari and said, basically, don't crash it. And somehow, not only has he not crashed it, he's keeping it on the course better than the two that were given the keys before him. So I don't know how the hell this is happening. Oh, Brock Purdy is just straight up better than Jimmy Garoppolo. We can say that with definitive certainty at this point. Purdy better than Garoppolo. And the thing is with Trey Lance, right, this is what they were hoping to get out of him. 
Like, they didn't need him to be this megastar. They just needed him to extend drives with his feet, take the throws that were there, and take the couple shots a game that Jimmy just wouldn't take. And Brock has done all of that, and you've seen, right? For years, we talked about this, right? Kyle Shanahan is the engine that makes all of this go because everybody's running five yards free because of all of the stuff that he's doing. But then you give him pieces like Kittle, Ayuk, Debo, Christian McCaffrey. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That is not true. There's not some magical dust that Kyle Shanahan can sprinkle on shoulder pads to help players run routes that no one else knows how to run. He can't draw up schemes, route combinations that no one's ever seen before. They all have the tape. They can watch the 49ers routes from last week. That's not the secret to the San Francisco 49ers' success. In Kittle, Ayuk, and Samuel, they have the best pass catchers. Then you add McCaffrey. It's the best receiving quartet by leaps and miles in the league. If you drop the right quarterback onto that team with that supporting cast, he is going to thrive. The supporting cast and the surrounding skill position players is the secret sauce. It's not the secret coaching scheme. You do need the right personnel to run a stretch zone run scheme, but other teams around the league do have athletic linemen that can execute the stretch zone run scheme. I think a, I think a part of it, too, is marrying the run game to the pass game, knowing when to, when to go to the well, so to speak, of, you know, hey, we're going to call this deep play action shot for Brock, or we're going to... That instinctual play calling certainly makes Kyle Shanahan an above-average play caller. It does give them a marginal advantage. There's no question about that. Yeah. If you give Kyle Shanahan a team with a league-bottom talent profile, he will fail, like he failed in Cleveland, like he failed in Atlanta, like he failed in Washington. We've seen Kyle Shanahan with bad players. Those teams lose. But now, because the team has advanced into the playoffs with a Mr. Irrelevant quarterback all the credit tilts towards Kyle Shanahan, and it's not appropriate. And I don't appreciate you, Anand Nanduri, contributing to this nonsense. I just look. I mean, it. Uh, look, I not on these airwaves, my friend. It, it's it's the matter of you know what contributes to wins and losses. We've talked about this. The margins in the NFL between wins and losses are so thin. Kyle Shanahan matters on the margins, absolutely. Yeah, and so. Ultimately speaking, right, when when we've seen this story before, right, we saw it with with Shanahan, the numbers, not not wins and losses. This is a very different discussion. We're not talking about the the 2022-23 Niners. But when you've seen what he did with Nick Mullins' numbers, when you've seen what he's done with other quarterbacks' numbers that have just had those career years with him that they don't get with anybody else, Matt Ryan, Kirk Cousins, RG3, name whoever it is that you want right until they get another top flight offensive coach I think there is value to what Kyle brings there in terms of he made this offense so easy for Brock to sit there and do whatever the hell he wants I mean everybody's it, it, I mean when you have the weapons the job is don't screw it up well the supporting cast is just not the skill positions it's also the offensive linemen a big reason Brock Purdy is allowed to sit back there comfortably is because of Aaron Banks and Jake Brendel and Mike McClinchy and Spencer Burford and especially Trent Williams. The reason he's so comfortable is not because of the play that came in. It was so genius. No. It's that no one on the defense can get near the guy. No. It's the guys that are actually playing the game that are making it easy for Brock Purdy. Yeah. Yeah. Look, the, the offensive line, like... A quarterback is far more a product of their offensive line than any of us will ever care to admit. Thank you. Far more a product of their offensive line than anyone will care to admit. And if you want to fight back or push back against them. How many broadcasters are calling it the Trent Williams offense? No. Like, they certainly weren't calling it the Teron Armstead offense in Miami, were they? It's the Mike McDaniel offense. It's the Kyle Shanahan offense. There are like four or five quarterbacks that are less influenced by their offensive line than anybody else, but no one is offensive line proof. We saw that with Mahomes in the Super Bowl against Tampa Bay. They went a they they ran a bunch of backups in there, and Mahomes did the Lord's work that day. He was incredible. I will never ever take anything away from what he tried to do that day. Oh, you can't take anything away from Patrick Mahomes. How <laughs> dare you even discuss the possibility on Indendury? I mean, look him. Burrow, Allen are three that come to mind immediately that are off at less offensive line dependent. But if uh, you want, hey, to, Adam, but, how did but uh, if, Patrick Mahomes look on Wild Card Weekend? Mm. 
How do you look? <laughs> Pretty good. <laughs> I think he looked better than anybody. <laughs> looked great at home, resting. Same with Jalen Hurts. It's pretty easy to tell when you have a quarterback that played as well in the playoffs last year as Matthew Stafford played and look as bad as he did in his limited time this year. What really changed? Functionally, they swapped out Odell for Allen Robinson. Okay, you can blame that a bit. But really, the the losses on the offensive line took much more of a toll on him than anyone would care to admit. So one of the things that we have to acknowledge about Brock Purdy, Kyle Shanahan, all that goes on in San Francisco is top to bottom, they understood what it would take to build an offense that is not only quarterback-friendly, but only relies on the quarterback to do what's there. It's basically free. Don't mess it up. I remember year after year in New England, Belichick was the great genius when Nate Solder and the offensive line were largely healthy, and not so much when Nate Solder was out with a bad back and others tore their ACL, and yeah, Brady was under constant duress. Now, Steve Keem, Kime, it's Kime, right? Yeah, Kime time. Kime time. Gone. Cliff Kingsbury, gone. Kingsbury's now in Thailand for a month, right? No cell phone? (laughs) As if he left his devices at home. Give me a break. (laughs) Now, Monte Austinfort has arrived in Arizona. Is that a better or worse hire than the Rand Carthen hire? I think Rand Carthen was the better of the two, and... Hell yeah. Monty is another one of the, the the New England mafia, you know, was there forever, you know, 2006 to 2019, and then came over in 2020 to Tennessee. And I mean, look, like I have no issues with it. The problem, if you're the Cardinals, is the Titans saw this guy every day for three years and decided, hey, we don't want him to be our general manager. He was passed over in-house. Yeah. And then had to go elsewhere. This is a tale as old as time in corporate America. Yikes. Yeah. I I mean, look, Arizona's a mess. Like, I think Michael Bidwell did the right thing. You clean house, you fire everybody. The, 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 the The fact of the matter is someone has to make Kyler Murray work. And if it wasn't going to be Cliff, the guy who begged for him in high school, the guy who begged for him in college, the guy who begged for him in the pros, right? If it wasn't going to be that guy, you've got to change your approach and just, you know, build out the roster around him and pray to God that he can figure it out. Because Kyler Murray's a special talent. But late in the season, his availability has been a question. His productiveness late in seasons has been a question. And I don't know how much of that you can attribute to Cliff, how much of that you can attribute to him. But that can't work when you've paid a guy as much as Kyler Murray's getting paid. Yeah, uh, yeah, that that... That that has to work. There's no out there. You have to make that work. Sometimes. Five years, $230 million. There you go. Including $190 million guaranteed. You can't make a $190 million mistake. And, and yeah. It's crazy. And quarterback contracts are only going to get more and more and more ridiculous. But if you're the Cardinals, the main concern that you have, right, is... Well, uh, Anand, uh, the Cardinals do have an out in 2028. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> good. <laughs> oh, my God. The quarterback that they could draft right now is, what, an eighth grader? <laughs> Thing is, Kyler Murray's not going to be 100% for the start of next season. So no, 2023 is absolutely a rebuilding year for Arizona. No. Arizona is a objectively in a lot of trouble at the moment. I think the torn ACL will be a benefit and let it'll help them rebuild without pressure from the fan base and, and from the equity holders to win now, to win this year. Let Kyler Murray recuperate and rebuild this team under the radar. But they'll probably push him to come back as most NFL teams do. What they should do is just use this as an opportunity to say, hey, everybody, we're going to shed veterans we're going to accumulate picks and we're actually going to accumulate picks out into 2024 we're going to set our sights on becoming competitive in 2025 that's the move i agree because the thing is jj watt retiring hopkins isn't getting any younger so at this point if i was arizona i'd be looking to move him rip it down and start over uh, they cannot start this season with deandre hopkins on the roster that is a non-starter no 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 
That would make no sense. I, I just, I don't understand how, like, and obviously things went south really quickly this year. There were high hopes for them this year. But I don't, for the life of me, I don't know how the, how he wasn't traded in season. Steve Kime. Kime time. Sorry, Steve. See ya, buddy. He has a solid career as a Dana White stunt double if he ever wanted it, though. They've got the fifth-year option coming up on Marquise Brown. $13 million is good value. They could put him on the block as well. Just implode this thing and rebuild on top. Yeah. They've got Kyler Murray for the long run. There's no reason to panic. They can functionally choose to be last year's Jags if they want to, where you you know you, you know you have a quarterback, but get rid of everything else and start fresh. Because you've seen if the quarterback is what you think he is and Trevor Lawrence is that guy, and we've seen flashes of Kyler Murray being that guy. Kyler Murray, you know, it's easy to forget with all the injuries and how fucking bad Arizona's been lately. Kyler Murray was the leading MVP candidate like 18 months ago. Like, that was a thing that happened. I would love to have Kyler Murray as my quarterback. Kyler Murray's skill set wins games. If you're a quarterback yeah. that can throw downfield accurately, he had the best deep ball completion percentage and accuracy rating in 2021, and he can sustain drives with his tactical scrambling ability. So you have to love that. I think that Kyler Murray is actually underrated. This is a great opportunity for a general manager to come in and rebuild around a true franchise quarterback. Kyler Murray puts defenses in an impossible situation. Oh, yeah. And the thing is, you can't go find, like, if the if Baltimore loses Lamar Jackson, you can't just go find another one. If you if you lose a Kyler Murray, you can't just go find another one. You can find a really good quarterback. You just can't find a guy that does that. Now, the common prediction is that Chicago trades down, but actually it would make sense for Arizona to trade down and accumulate picks. But no one's talking about that. I think they should trade down, but I also think you you have to move Hopkins, and hopefully you get a high enough pick for him that you can, you know. If I were Austin Fort, the moment I arrive in Arizona, I am on the phone peddling picks. you got to move Hopkins and trade down at the very least. The functional problem with the Steve Kime Arizona Cardinals is you get, you gave up for Hollywood Brown what the Eagles gave up for A.J. Brown. That's not okay. <laughs> That's not okay. They're not comparable players. Like, Hollywood Brown is a really good football player. A.J. Brown is a superstar. And you gave up basically the equivalent. That was such a bad trade. We talked about it at the time. So bad. Really bad trade. For everyone involved, it sucked for fantasy players. It wasn't a good value for a receiver that you were going to have to pay. Like this, I we didn't understand it then. I don't understand it now. We're talking about potentially, you know, not declining his fifth year option or a sign in trade at this point. Like I would trade Marquise Brown. Marquise Brown is a valuable asset, but you also have Rondale Moore, who has similar speed. He's just not as strong at the catch point downfield as Marquise Brown. But both Brown and Moore have struggled with drops over their career. So I just roll out Rondale Moore in that role and see how he performs in a full season and see if you can get value in return for Marquise Brown and his fifth-year option. Yep. And you look at the draft picks that Arizona has coming up. They've got the 103, the 203, the 303, and they've got a handful of supplemental picks as early as the third round. Yep. If you're Arizona, yeah, just host the fire sale. Call it what it is. If you trust Monty to draft, which clearly you do if you know, you're know you going to make him your GM, give him the ability to do it. Give him the ability to turn over this roster in two years, and we'll see what, what they can do. Because you've seen it, right? Total roster transformations in a year. They're rare, but they do happen. Seattle is a great example of it. The The draft that they had in 2022 is directly responsible for the trajectory of that franchise going forward, regardless of what happens with Geno at quarterback. So it is possible. It's just a matter of you need to acquire the resources to be able to throw those darts to be able to, to hit on those players. So Seattle's going to stay pat at quarterback? They're not drafting one? I don't think they'll I don't think they'll draft a quarterback unless someone falls into their lap. Gino played well. Yeah. He deserves an extension. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't extend him for ten years. I mean, you're probably looking at two or three years, pretty decent money. Gino Smith's gonna look up one day and he'll have made two hundred million dollars in the NFL. Not a bad existence, huh? 
amazing. And a lot of it, too, was, you know, preseason the narratives. Everybody, literally everybody, had written this man off. And I, I think the the coolest part about Seattle's season was not just that Geno Smith was winning games, but that he was legitimately playing well as a quarterback. Like, it was the kind of stuff over a full 17-game span where you're sitting there asking yourself, like, okay, is this a flash in the pan or is it not early in the season? And he just kept delivering over and over and over again. And it's just it's awesome to see stuff like that, right? You, you don't really get to see these redemption arcs at quarterback a lot. I mean, I guess you could say Tannehill's one of them, but that's probably the most recent one. Um, but this was it was just cool to see. I think yeah, I, I think he deserves a shot at least for a year or two um, in Seattle. And you know, if it was a flash in the pan, so be it. We'll always have 2022 as you know the Geno Smith year. But if it's not, then I mean that's a legitimate quarterback that you can build around. I'm seeing a lot of mocks having Indianapolis trade up with Chicago to get a quarterback, but not C.J. Stroud, not Bryce Young. Actually, Will Levis. Oh boy. Will Levis and Anthony Richardson are the two tools guys. And every year that we have we get a couple. Will Levis, big arm. Let me preface this by saying no one is Josh Allen. Please stop all Josh Allen comparisons. There's no one there's not another. He doesn't exist. But people are chasing that kind of upside now in the top 10 where it's oh hey, maybe he didn't put it all together at the collegiate level, but we have these tools, right? That we're betting on if we hire the right offensive coach the right offensive coordinator the right quarterbacks coach that we can get 80 to 100 percent out of whatever's in there out of it you're betting on a relatively small outcome though if you do that with Levis and with Richardson Young and Stroud are much more polished prospects and if you're picking 101 you don't want to take the risk right Justin Herbert is more talented than Joe Burrow by far Do you think anybody in Cincinnati regrets taking Joe Burrow 101? Fuck no. Justin Herbert may be more talented. He may have a better career. Who knows? He may go on to have a better career. Who knows? But no one is sitting there with the 101 upset about drafting Joe Burrow. The problem is if you take Zach Wilson, right? Imagine if Jacksonville had taken Zach Wilson 101 betting on upside, right? It it just doesn't make sense to me. I would take Younger Stroud, take your pick. I think they're very close. I don't think they're in that generational Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields kind of debate at 1-2, but I think they're both really good players. They're both going to be really good NFL players, and I don't think you can go wrong with either of them. So I would take... You know, Will Levis has never posted a 2-1 to touchdown interception ratio in college, and that's a key threshold for a quarterback prospect. Last year, only 19 touchdowns and 10 interceptions. What are we talking about? I mean, he didn't play every game. He only played 10 games, but couldn't even throw for 3,000 yards ever in his college career? What? No, and the the knock on Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud is going to be, oh, they're throwing to all-world receivers. Stroud and Young get criticized for their slight frame, their lack of arm strength. Will Levis has the frame and has the arm strength. He just doesn't have the actual numbers. The best combination of all of them is probably Stroud. But Bryce Young did stuff that Stroud just didn't show until Georgia. So I guess the question is, how much weight do you put on one game where somebody really finally put everything together and showed you this is what I can do against the best defense in America? So like, obviously, what Bryce Young did to Georgia's 2021 defense, which was better, with what I consider a worse supporting cast at wide receiver than what cj had this year which one holds more weight to you i suppose is the question and then you add in cj's frame versus bryce's frame they're really close like it is literally a take your pick at one for me i don't have strong feelings about one versus the other i know my buckeye friends will not like that but there you really can't go wrong with one or the other there at number one number two it's the where do you take the risk where do you throw the dart on a will levis or an anthony richardson who have these superior physical tools that you just can't find all the time, but clearly need development. Like, both of them need to sit for an extended period of time. Well, Tennessee's going to walk away from Tannehill. They can save $10 million in cash, but still have to account for $18 million of dead cap. 
But the alternative is like $38 million of cap space that they have to allocate to Ryan Tannehill this year. So by cutting him, they free up $20 million of cap space. It's a lot of cash. He's gone. Yeah, he's gone. So now we've got to put him on the quarterback turntable. Brady's on the quarterback turntable. Yeah, I don't think he goes back to Tampa. Brady knows this is not a Super Bowl-caliber defense, and he needs to go somewhere where they have a Super Bowl-caliber defense because time is ticking. I think the best team, the team with the best defense, offensive line, and wide receiver core is the Jets. You think he'd do that to New England? You know that Brady and his team are sitting down, and they're grading all these potential landing spots. The Jets would have the best aggregate score. It makes sense. But the Tennessee Titans would also finish highly on that roster grading rubric. But the problem is I've heard that Mike Vrabel and Tom Brady didn't get along in New England. But they were technically teammates, and it still makes a lot of sense. That, that would be strange. Where the Jets are picking at 11, they're not going to pick a guy like Anthony Richardson. They don't want to develop a quarterback from the ground up. They almost made the playoffs. If Anthony Richardson makes it past Tennessee, makes it past the Jets, then he could slip all the way down to Washington. It's also very possible that Anthony Richardson moves well up into the top 10, maybe to Las Vegas, Atlanta, Carolina, all drafting late in the top 10. He's going to be another one of those guys that when we send Cody out to Indy in February, he's going to be another one of those guys that scouts see in person and they're like, holy fuck, who is that guy? Holy fuck. Holy fuck. (laughs) Look at this guy, baby. Yeah. He's the type of guy that could get that Malik Willis hype we saw last year, but actually get drafted in the top 10 where where Malik Willis was supposedly going to get drafted and never did, and then somehow fell to the third round. Yeah, and like the, 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 the crazy part about Richardson, too, is, I mean, even in his bad games, like even in his really bad games, um, there are flashes of just absolute brilliance that make you sit back and go, whoa, there are like, five or six guys that we've ever seen that can do that you know and so I think that's one that that makes a lot of sense to me for years our thought was that pocket passers are the quote-unquote safe quarterbacks and how that mentality needs to change because rushing quarterbacks provide a floor for your offense that pocket passers simply do not (laughs) this is something that fantasy gamers learned 10 years ago right And so basically, the idea is, if you're going to draft someone with a Josh Allen-type profile, they need to be a runner so that they can provide your offense a stable floor as they progress to their ceiling as a passer and as a true quarterback, kind of in the manner of what Justin Fields did in Chicago this year, where they're scoring 30 points a game. The team is terrible. We all know this. But they're scoring at a relatively high rate against really good teams because his rushing floor it provides a floor for your offense that that a pocket passer simply cannot. Do you remember Justin Fields at Ohio State? That's what a top-tier quarterback prospect looks like. It just so happens that this class doesn't have any top-tier quarterbacks in it. Yeah. Fields had the physique, he had the production, and the raw skill set. No one in this class checks all those boxes like Justin Fields did. No. As we break down this 2023 class, we're going to have a newfound appreciation for the 2020 and 2021 quarterback classes. Yep. The 2020 and 2021 quarterback classes, they were epic. Yeah. Yeah. And like look, like that this is why scouting and grading is so important and it's why we've emphasized over time and time again, having a top 3 draft pick year to year is not equivalent Being able to choose between Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields is not the same as being able to choose between Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud. It's just not. They're both very good prospects. They're not comparable to those two. Justin Fields would have been QB1 in basically any class in the last decade other than the one that he was in with Trevor Lawrence. So, like, when you get get to that, right, the other thing, too, if you're a general manager, is the tankathon 2024 for Caleb Williams is already on. Teams are just going to tank. And I don't blame him. I don't. I don't. Because in the league, I know you, your your objective is to win games and you've got to keep fans in seats. You know how you keep fans in seats? 15 fucking years of Caleb Williams. That'll keep fans in seats. 2023 might be rough. That might suck. When in doubt in this draft class, go Paris Johnson. 
Go Paris Johnson. Go Will Anderson. Jalen Carter. Anderson looks like the consensus 101 at this point. I'm talking about Peter Skaronsky. Yep. These athletic linemen going in the top 10, they have the highest floor and some of the highest ceilings. 6'6", 300, 3'10", and they can grow into 330-pound offensive linemen in an instant. Or, in the case of Skaronsky, one of the most versatile linemen to come out in a long time. The other part of that too, Matt, is anybody that can play both guard and tackle is so valuable in case you lose someone else on your O-line. That just adds to his value. Anna, we're going to have to do another episode that just focuses on this quarterback turntable. we got to break down these quarterbacks where we think they're going to go. Tannehill, Rodgers, Brady, Lamar Jackson, Carr, line them all up and determine where they should all go and where they ultimately will end up. We'll have landing spots. You're going to have a lock-solid prediction for where all these quarterbacks are going to end up. And for Anand Nanduri, I'm the Podfather. This has been the Decision Point brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. Underdog has just decided they're going to launch a brand new best ball contest where you're just drafting players from the eight remaining teams in the playoffs. It's a reprise of the gauntlet. It's a $25 entry, $500,000 in prizes, $750,000 to first place. It's only 30% filled, but it's going to be 100% filled in just a couple days. It might fill by the end of the day on Friday. So get in the gauntlet now. I'm going to be drafting some Cowboys, baby. They've got a chance. There's not a big difference between the talent profile of the Philadelphia Eagles and the Dallas Cowboys. Give us a sleeper team to draft players from for playoff best ball. Give me all the Bengals. What do you mean? They just lost their left tackle, Jonah Williams, Anand. That's the worst possible advice. What edge rusher on Buffalo scares you now that Von Miller's gone? That's a mistake. Do not overinvest in Bengals players in the underdog gauntlet tournament. This Jonah Williams injury is titanic. That is a big loss. We'll see if he can play. They're trying, they're trying to get him to play. Shame on them for trying to coerce him into playing. That just shows how desperate they are. That just shows the desperate situation that they're in. What was it, a broken kneecap? I think it just dislocated. Casual. Oh, yeah, yeah, casual dislocation. Casual. <laughs> <laughs> So the promo code on Underdog is Underworld. You get a 100% instant deposit match up to 100 bucks. The promo code is Underworld to double your deposit up to Other than that Brady's going to be a Titan. <laughs> oh, did you see that take? I did. I did. People send me stuff all the time. Like friends of mine, like when I don't get to catch other shows that we do, people will send in stuff all the time. I think the funniest one by far was uh, this kid that I had Italian class with in uh, in college. Randomly DMs me on, on, uh, on Instagram, I think it was. And he goes, hey, are you on a show with Matt? Like... How did you find him? What happened? I'm like, dude, I haven't heard from you since Italian class, like sophomore year. What's going on? He goes, oh, like I started playing Dynasty and, you know, got into the space and kind of, you know, started checking stuff out. And so, like, Mike sends me stuff all the time now. Nice. Of, like, random clips and stuff. I was like, wow, what a what a small world. Yeah, there you go. That's, the, that's people helping people, dude. Right? I love that. Yeah, it's always good to see. Because we have a lot to go through. We have a lot. But the, the beauty is you're going to have to do a lot of the talking because... Rand Carthen was a guy from uh, from San Francisco who was a money side guy. That's the guy that goes to the Titans, right? Yeah, he's to the Titans. And then they hire... Um, Monty Austinfort, Brian Flores to Arizona. That would be good. I mean, I wouldn't say awesome. Brian Flores is... we, we You know, at the very least, he has a like an ethical code. 
the strange part about the Monty Ford hire is they took him from Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And Tennessee could have promoted him internally if they wanted. Right. That's mm. strange. That doesn't happen often. So they, they went outside the organization. There must have been really good things said. Well, I mean, another New England guy. About, uh, you know, about this, about this guy that the Titans hired. Rand Carthen is... The reason San Fran's been so good for so long is they they keep their front office. Like, their guys are their guys. They don't really lose them often. Right. He was the... He was like a, a scout for the Falcons, then director of player personnel for the Rams for four years between St. Louis and L.A., then director of pro personnel for the Niners for four years, and player personnel again for two years, and then the GM of the Titans. So, like... The question everybody's going to have is, what is his talent evaluation ability based on the last time he scouted anyone realistically was 2011? But doesn't he have scouts? Isn't it? Isn't GM sort of an overseer? Do you think? Do you think Dave Gettleman was finding a guy had great hip fluidity and that was like the key to him making a great pick? I mean, you want to be a good executive. You want to be a good manager of teams and pe- teams of people. It is very similar to a head coaching job where I don't know if I want you calling plays. I don't know if I want you having your hand in everything as much as being an overseer. But the really great GMs are capable of doing both. But it's just rare. Like, you'll never know if someone's... It's a lot like being a first-time head coach. You're never going to know if someone's capable of doing it until they do it. Okay. And that's what's really weird about hiring a GM, period, is... Unless they've done it before, like unless you go get a Dave Gettleman, unless you go get a, you know, someone that's that's done the job before. You have no idea what their competency level for a job like that is going to be. And to, to an extent, the unfortunate or fortunate part about it is a GM's job is over time, right? Like a head coach's job is year to year. A GM's job is essentially to build something over time. So whether or not you're right, it's tough to cut bait with a GM immediately. You can cut bait with a coach year one and be like, okay, this just didn't work. Goodbye, Nathaniel Hackett. See you later. Right? Mm-hmm. It's much tougher to do that with a general manager when their job is not only to fix the head coaching issues, if there are any, but also to rebuild the roster over time. So it's it's a tough, really weird thing. Because like you don't see, especially teams like the Titans that have been consistently good, over the last half decade, like you don't see those GMs get fired hardly ever. John Robinson, yeah, yeah, and so it, it's a it's just a weird job. Like, there's not really anything else in the world of sports quite like NFL general manager, only because the margins between win loss are so thin, and that doesn't really fall upon you as much as the draft picks do. Right? Like, if you miss on a first round guy, if you miss on a few first rounders in a row, people are going to call for your head. Evaluating first round talent even is hard. I mean, if you get a guy from the team that, that essentially has has moved Brock Purdy in the second round of the playoffs by having just an incredible depth of talent across the franchise, unit by unit, you take any guy from that organization, you feel like you're, you're tapping into some knowledge and wisdom that is special yeah i think the the thing about san fran that's very unique is they're enabled to do their jobs like nobody is putting their hands in the pot so to speak it's the exact opposite of indianapolis where ursay wants control of everything like they're hiring the right people in san francisco and they're empowering them to do their jobs it's exactly what howie's done in philadelphia Everybody there has their job and is empowered to do it. Now, obviously, somebody has final say, and that matters a lot. Who that who the buck stops with matters a lot. Right. But at the same time, you're looking at first-time GMs in organizations that historically have had really strong GM profiles. Like John Robinson brought in a lot of talent that Tennessee just didn't have before. Yeah. Yeah, he saw something in Ryan Tannehill. Yep. That was big. Yeah, I I mean, it had to be, I don't remember what exactly the report was that came out. I think it might have been something off the field that that prompted them to fire him. But I mean, it's just. Oh, really? The GM head coach power struggle is a very weird thing. I remember remember one pick that was particularly strong 
which was when they drafted Harold Landry from BC in the early second round. And I was just beside myself that he made it to the second round at all. Like, I was like, this is a first round pick. Like, this is a stud edge rusher. What the fuck is happening? It's like it's like when T. Higgins made it to the second round and we're all sitting there like, well, we know who the first player off the board in the second round. Yeah, and it's like, wait a second. This guy plays down the street from Foxborough Stadium and the Patriots passed on him. That's idiotic. And sure enough, and they just lost Richard Seymour. It was like, it was such an easy, no, they had just lost Chandler Jones. And it was like, oh, this is, this is the easy one-for-one replacement. This is like Burks to Tennessee replacing A.J. Brown. Right. This is easy. This is easy to see a mile away They're, you know, and then they didn't. They went with some D2 corner or something, which they always do. (laughs) No one's heard of. I was like, wait, what? They're not going to go Landry. Yeah. I mean, look, so the, the big thing is like the scouting department functionally runs the late rounds of the draft. Right. And I mean, coaches are obviously going to have their input, but I highly doubt Kyle Shanahan was watching seventh round rookie safeties. You know, know. like he's getting information from somebody who put together the cutoffs and he's like, oh, I really like something in this kid, blah, 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 blah. But the scouting department, like especially in an organization like San Francisco, when somebody bangs the table for their for their guy. Right. Mm -hmm. Like we know what happened with Talanoa Hufanga. They were like, hey, take him. You have to take him. Like we don't care that we don't need safety. You have to take this kid. Do you have takes on the quarterbacks where the quarterbacks are going to be going? So it's, so who is this Brady? What are the dominoes? The dominoes go Brady, Brady, potentially Rogers. If he decides to make that move, which, okay. So we'll talk about how Rogers might leave Brady Rogers car. Then what's next after car Tannehill. There's an out in Tannehill's contract. He's gone. You think they move off of him for Willis? After what they saw, this well, they've year. got an out in 2023, yeah. uh, so they could save. And he's he's owed. He's got he's got two. What, what, what are those like? They look like void years. They're just restructure years. It's a, he's got a 36 million dollar cap hit, 37 million dollar cap hit, uh, but the dead cap is only 18 million. So they would save quite a bit of money. So they they would uh, they could cut him and save 10 million. And twenty million against the cap. They would save eighteen million against the cap, and they would save ten million in cash. There's something being floated out there that I think has more legs than anyone wants to admit, which is Carthen was there when uh, San Fran drafted Trey Lance, and if San Fran wants to ride with Purdy or keep Garoppolo or do whatever the hell, it trade is, right? for Lance. Wow, yeah. that would be great. So my take is that you you would just want you would just want to take the money guy. There's plenty of guys that can scout hip fluidity. There's not as many guys that can do that can that can be sal- that are the salary cap gurus. That's a harder skill set to find. I think it's a harder skill set to find because it's not as the departments aren't as vast, right? Like, right. That's right. It, it's there are area scouts for everything. It's not like you have an area cap guy for everything. So. Uh, what else? Who else? Who else could go uh, somewhere? Who else could leave? Quarterback? Yeah, we know Wentz is gone. Washington might be trying to find somebody. Ryan's done. Uh, the Colts are going to go rookie. They're finally going to make it right and go rookie quarterback. That's see, that's Indy's the most interesting team in the draft to me. Or they have the four pick. They have the four, but you've got to remember, Houston has two. Yeah, the Bears have the one. Bears want to trade down. The Bears are gonna trade down. I don't think. I think there is a virtually zero percent chance that they have, they take that pick, unless the value they get back is so bad. I don't think there's any reason for them to take that pick, and I think Poles knows that. So, a best case scenario, if you're the Bears, is you can get Indy to move out of four up to one, and then you trade down one more time to maybe eight or nine, something in that range, right? Yeah, Arizona doesn't need a quarterback. Seattle quarterback. Nah, I think they're in with Geno for a little bit. Probably two to three years. Interesting. Okay. Detroit quarterback? I saw a mock where uh, Indy trades up to one and takes Will Levis. That's becoming a popular sentiment, and Cody and I were talking about that the other day. The thing is, that to me is an unnecessary risk. Is Bryce Young going to be... Is He's dropping like a stone or what? I don't understand why, but like 
people are horribly afraid of his frame, which makes sense. Like, there are legitimate concerns about Bryce Young as a number one overall pick, but none of them are, like, quarterback-related. They're all, okay, he has an barely above-average arm. We've seen that work in the NFL for years. That's not a problem. Well, he's a little slight. Okay, well, the last decade-plus, we've seen multiple quarterbacks succeed that are a little slight. Like, I think that, that that's an overthought. Like, the the C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young debate is a debate. You can have that. The C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young, Will Levis, Anthony Richardson debate is not a debate. Will Levis and Anthony Richardson have sky-high ceilings. Nobody's denying that. But Anthony Richardson took maybe what the Atlanta, Carolina, at nine or eight, eight or nine. Carolina would be a lot of fun. He needs time. Like they both, Levis and Richardson both need time. Like, all right. If you expect them to go out there and shock the world day one, they're not going to do it. And the problem is, all of these guys, the organizations that they're going to, right, aren't great at the moment. Like Houston, not really set up for success. Indy. We like some of their pieces, but like it de- entirely depends who they bring in and what they're going to try and do. The Bucks have fired Byron Leftwich. Okay. All right. So let's uh, let's let's just start the show. Ready? Yep. Kyle Shanahan is the engine that makes all of this go. We've seen Kyle Shanahan with bad players. Those teams lose, and I don't appreciate you, Anand Nanduri, contributing to this nonsense. I mean it. Uh, look, I. I mean it. Uh, look, I. I mean it. Uh, look, I. That, that would be strange. John Robinson, not bad, but gone. Holy fuck! Holy fuck! Holy fuck! Who is that guy? Purdy one, Jimmy zero. The right dart throws matter. That's the worst possible advice. Give me all the Bengals. Mr. Irrelevant becomes very relevant. That might suck. Yeah, time time. Time time. Gone. Cliff Kingsbury, gone. Yikes. Kyler Murray puts defenses in an impossible situation. You can't make a $190 million mistake. How dare you even discuss the possibility on Indendurri? That's not okay. Steve Kime. Kime time. Sorry, Steve. See ya, buddy. Geno Smith's going to look up one day, and he'll have made $200 million in the NFL. It's a lot of cash. Oh, boy. Steve Kime. Kime time. Let me preface this by saying no one is Josh Allen. Sorry, Steve. See ya, buddy. Time time.